In a world where good news is hard to find, WAVA and One Heart DC present Good News for the City. We're here to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and what his body, the church, is doing to spread this good news in the Washington, D.C. metro area, including Northern Virginia, Maryland, and D.C. As Jesus said in John 17, Father, that they may be one just as we are one. Welcome to Good News for the City. It's the gospel, the gospel that makes a way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Good News for the City, the broadcast radio partnership between WAVA Radio and One Heart DC. My name is Brian Bales, and I have the privilege of hosting this show where we, in every show, talk about this truth. It's the gospel that makes a way. And frankly, whether it's on a radio show or a podcast, or whether you catch me at Christian Fellowship Church in Ashburn on the weekend where I'm the lead pastor, or you catch me at the grocery store, or I catch you at your place of work. That is the truth that needs to guide us as believers in Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that make a way. Now, the truth is many of us believe that engaging with people, though, who are skeptical or even hostile to the Christian faith requires a vast knowledge of apologetics, even though we know it's a gospel that makes a way. It, it, it requires from us a complete be able to talk with every piece of evidence and biblical reference in order that we can refute objections or answer questions regarding our faith. In his book, Questioning Evangelism, the author introduces us to an alternative style, though, of how we can share our beliefs that's patterned after the way Jesus related to people around him. Rather than struggling with what to say about the gospel all the time, instead, turn to a person helping him search for spiritual truth. The author encourages us to think about what to ask instead of necessarily what to quote or what to argue about. And I'm excited to have back on the show today that very author, Randy Newman. So, Randy, thanks for being with us today on the show. Uh, I, I totally appreciated our conversation that we had. And if you didn't hear Randy before, you can always go to goodnewsforthecity.com and your favorite plat- podcast platforms to listen to him in that way. But just thank you for being back on the show. Oh, I'm delighted to be with you. Thanks. For those who didn't catch you before, let's catch them up. How about that? About who you are. You're a senior fellow for apologetics at evangelism and evangelism, rather, at the C.S. Lewis Institute here in the Washington metro area. You've taught several evangelical seminaries, Patrick Henry College in Loudoun County, Virginia. You're currently an adjunct professor at Reformed Theological Seminary. Your background is as a Jewish believer, uniquely informs your perspectives and teaching. And after serving for over 30 years with Campus Crusade for Christ, you establish Connections Points, a ministry to help Christians engage people's hearts the way Jesus did. You've written several books, which I don't have to tell you that about, but maybe we'll tell our people about. Um, and those books include the award-winning Questioning Evangelism. You can find that in many of your other books at randydavidnewman.com. We'll talk about that again and bring that up so people can go and look. Again, you've been a guest on our show discussing the book, Mere Evangelism, Bringing the Gospel Home, Witnessing to Family Members and Close Friends. And if you missed it, go back and look. But just recently, as we were just saying, days ago, you moved from the Washington metro area, and you are now a resident of Austin, Texas. You are waiting a grandchild and a growing number of uh, grandchildren you do have. And so just thanks for taking time out of your day for talking to us and talking about the importance of the gospel and how it makes a way. So you're very welcome. Let's go back to the title of your book, Questioning Evangelism, Engaging People's Hearts the Way Jesus Did. So you've spent some significant time, obviously, studying the life of Jesus, and not just studying from the standpoint of 
what he said, but also how he did what he did. And what first impressed you to explore the way he used questions? I'm interested about that because Jesus used a lot of questions, obviously, to touch the hearts of those he conversed with. Was it something about your background? Was it something about something you were experiencing that made you resonate with how he approached things? Well, I think it, I think it really started, uh, Brian, with a whole lot of frustration. And that is, um, I was with Campus Crusade for Christ, as you said, on a lot of big city, uh, East Coast city campuses mm-hmm. where the standard approaches to evangelism just didn't work. Yeah. And, you know, we, we, I tried the standard here. Let me make a presentation. And it didn't go anywhere. Uh, my audience was very, very resistant. And I, I just think that where I was was sort of ahead of the curve of where the rest of the culture was going. So part of it came from I just I just had to experiment and I had to try different things. Uh, a second component was uh, I do come from a Jewish background and Jewish people ask a lot of questions and Jewish people answer questions with questions. Mm-hmm. That's our style. Now, I'll tell Someone you this. Oh, I don't oh, come yes, from a Jewish please. background, Randy, but I feel like I come from the same type of family that asks a lot of questions and answers <laughs> questions with questions. Some people might know about that, right? Yeah. Well, and, and you know, I, I, I would teach that and I'd say, you know, in Jewish culture, we answer questions with questions. And people said the exact same thing you just said. Mm. Well, that's not just true mm-hmm. in Jewish culture. And I think it was it was kind of growing. I don't know um, who knows why. But um, so then I did do a pretty thorough study of how Jesus responded whenever anybody asked him a question. And I don't think I was necessarily surprised, but I was impressed with most of the time he didn't deliver just a straight, direct answer. Now, sometimes he did for Mm -hmm. sure, but often it was, you know, people said, um, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he held up a coin and said, whose face is on the coin? Or they said, is it lawful for us to heal on the Sabbath? And he countered with a question. Well, if you had an animal that fell into the ditch, wouldn't you pull it out? Mm. And you started seeing that, by answering a question with a question instead of an answer, you engage the person in the thinking process, actually in the answering process. You help them come to the answer before you actually state it. Right. And so I just started experimenting with that on campus and saw much better conversations than I was having when I was trying to do a presentation. It seems as if, if I'm understanding you correctly, that what you're engaging in helping people understand is that this really isn't a debate as much as it is an interaction. And and for me, I guess debates, uh, maybe it's a proper term that, that you would use as well, can often be much more conversational, I'm rather confrontational, not conversational, than conversational. Mm-hmm. And so are you hoping that what will happen in people understanding this idea of developing questions and talking to people, that it will engage people better in the relationship building? And if that's so, how does, in your opinion, this particular approach work maybe more successfully with a type of person or an age group of person or with anybody to sort of disarm them, especially if they come to the conversation with preconceived ideas about Jesus, the gospel, church, or any of those things that may not help in the conversation? Well, I think we should assume that everybody comes with preconceived ideas. True. I I think that's pretty standard. And, um, you know, um, debates are really great things and sermons are really great things and monologues are really great things, but they're not good in one-on-one conversation. So a a problem happens 
we hear a sermon, which is, again, it's, it's a very, very important God-ordained vehicle of, of proclaiming the truth, or we watch a debate, or we watch someone who is, you know, on a YouTube channel or on, on their TikTok channel, whatever, mm-hmm. but they're doing all the talking. Okay. Um, and so then what we think is we just need to import those kinds of monologues into our conversations. And that doesn't work there. It's not, it, it doesn't work. What we're trying to aim for is far more dialogue, mm-hmm. back and forth, conversation, interaction. And so I, I chose that word engaging very, very carefully in the subtitle because that's what we want to do. We don't we don't want to just impart information. Now, now we do need to impart information for sure, but we want to engage people in a process where they don't just hear and understand things, they encounter the reality and the power of the gospel and the personal God who created them to know him personally. You know, when we talk about the gospel then, you know, at the basis of it is that we need saved. We need a savior. And anyone who's listened to this show or engaged for know we talk about this all the time. And at the basis of that is who Jesus is. John fourteen six says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No man comes to the Father but through me. It is a claim of exclusivity. And exclusivity can also be a oftentimes with uh, different people in different cultures be a controversial sort of claim, yet this is what we believe as followers of Jesus Christ. So could you maybe help someone who's like, all right, I believe this, I know this, and give an example of how when you're engaging a conversation like this, that instead of it immediately being confrontational or immediately turn into a debate, a debate, it could be sort of turned into this relational connection, conversational instead of confrontational by asking the right question. Yeah, well, well, first, I want to step back a little bit and just think, I mean, that claim— that we need a savior, mm-hmm. that we can't save ourselves. That's terribly offensive mm-hmm. to every single person. It is. Yeah. It's very disturbing. Um, when a person realizes, feels the, the force of that, um, if they're going to respond properly, it's a response of humility and brokenness and repentance. And re- repentance ain't fun. No. And so... so um, so we just we're not just trying to convince people of something. We're trying to help them get to the point where they have that very very difficult emotional spiritual experience of of woe is me. I'm undone. Mm-hmm. Um and so so that's important for us to keep that in the forefront of our thinking so that we're communicating as much as possible with compassion and gentleness. Um now you asked for an example. Well, um, um, my favorite example happened on campus, not too far from where you are at George Mason University. And a student asked me if, uh, and he was pretty angry or nah, sarcastic is probably the better word. You know, oh, so are you telling me that everybody who disagrees with you is going to go to hell? Well, the answer to that question is, well, it's not that they disagree with me, but if they don't believe in Jesus, they are going to go to hell. Hell really is a place, John 14, 6. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. But, you know, I had delivered those direct answers many times, and, and they didn't work. Sure. I'm not saying that they're not true. They're, they're, they're absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But, but we need to also be wise in the way we interact with outsiders. That's the phrase from Colossians 4. Right. And so, you know, I had, I had tried out in my head a whole bunch of different ways of responding and it even gotten friends to help me. So I, I, 
I, I, I responded to this guy with, well, do you believe in hell? And, and it, it kind of like shook him up because it, because like I said, he was just being sarcastic and attacking. And so what I did was I asked a question that just sort of changed the shape of the conversation. Instead of him attacking me, I was now asking him to think about, do, do, is there such a place as hell? And th that's an important question. Um, so he, he, you know, he thought a little bit and he said, well, no, I don't think, I don't believe in hell. And I said, well, then, then why does this bother you? Why, why does it bother you that I think some people are going to a place that you think doesn't exist? And then that started a really good conversation about, is there such a place as hell? Is there such a place as heaven? By the way, it's interesting. He didn't believe in hell, but he did believe in heaven. Mm, interesting. And, yeah. Um, and he told me he was an atheist. And when I said, who decides who goes to heaven? He said, God. Mm. <laughs> so I, 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 I did not remind him at that point. Hey, you're not allowed to use that answer. You sure, yeah. I, I just thought this is great. He just he just became a theist. All right, we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. So, um, so all I'm saying is that a question instead of a proclamation of a statement worked better in move in engaging him and moving him toward the truth. So yeah, th that's what I'm trying to say. Questions engage better. I think you're illustrating, at least as I'm hearing you, this idea that it is really easy to listen in this interaction with people with an intent to respond instead of interact with people with an intent to understand where they might be coming from in order to talk to them about the truth of the gospel. I mean, because a critical part of anything relating effectively is to listen well. We're having a conversation, and hopefully I'm listening well in order to, to go where this conversation God wants to take it. So, I mean, I think there's some benefits that you're pointing out that at first maybe this person was just looking to have an argument, but when you ask the right question, it got beyond that. When you sincerely sought their opinion, when you sincerely talk to them, it sort of helps reveal what's beneath the surface. So when you talk to people, what are some maybe unspoken questions that you've engaged that, that might be lurking behind the way that they respond? And how might understanding some of those questions help us be more effective engaging them so that we can listen well and not just, you know, listen with an intent to respond? Hmm. You know, I, I think I remember you're saying that phrase, um, listen with the intent to hear mm -hmm. rather than just to respond the last time we were on this show. It and sounds really like something I, I would might say because it's something yeah. I try to do because I just discovered in my own life that it's really easy to walk into a conversation predetermined to get to a particular point without saying, God, where do you want to go with this conversation with this person? Mm -hmm. And so I have mm -hmm. to listen instead of with an intent to respond. I thought you were going to say preloaded. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, it looks like that um, sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, okay. So your question, what, what are some things that might be going on behind the surface or behind what people say? That's really important. Um, so I, I think there are, again, this is for many people, not all, but mm -hmm. um, for some people, they, they may state the question but then there's the question behind the question. So in the example I just had, the, the guy's question was, um, are, if, are you saying everybody who disagrees with you is going to hell? Based on his facial expression, his tone of voice, his body language, the question behind that question is, um, aren't you ridiculous? Isn't mm -hmm. your faith stupid? Isn't, isn't your whole belief system nonsense? 
Uh, or maybe behind that, maybe not quite so harsh. Maybe it's, can I, can I even think about what you believe for a second? I mean, it just seems absurd. It's ridiculous. Or in our highly politicized age, um, are you just one of those extremists on the other end of the political spectrum of where I am? Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there are, we do want to listen for not just the words that people say, but the attitudes and feelings behind that. By the way, there's also a really beautiful part of this. For, for many people, there are things going on that they absolutely will not tell us. But there may be senses of guilt, of shame, of, gee, I actually really hope that what you believe is true. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it be great if there was a God and this God loved me? Um, so, so for some people, there's a hunger that they won't tell you outright. And in fact, they may not even be aware of it. Mm-hmm. It may be the prompting and the drawing of God to himself of that person that they can't even put into words yet. And so we we step into these conversations and we ask questions and we try to do the very jo- best job of listening for the purpose of hearing. But we're also praying, Lord, would you do what only you can do? Would would you would you get to that person at their most painful, most sinful, most rebellious part and soften it and draw them. And and I, I just find that very, very encouraging that there's a whole other drama going on that I have no idea about and I have no control over. Yeah. And But God does. So Lord, would you work in this person's life? Which, and- by the way, is really great if, if they say something and I have no idea what to say. I, I have nothing. I'm stumped. And I go, huh, I don't boy, I, I got to think about that. And if it's totally dependent on me, I feel like, oh, I failed. Right. But I, I could, while I'm saying that, Lord, would you work? Would you, would you do what I obviously can't do right now? I love that, that active interaction with the God of the universe that's in us. The scripture says, if we're believers, we have the Holy Spirit and that he helps us uh, in many different ways. And this is a good example of that moment. You go back to that moment where you said that people necessarily won't tell you one of the things that I've observed, and I'm sure you've observed as well, just because they don't tell you with their mouth doesn't mean they're not communicating it with other ways. Mm-hmm. You know, the hurt mm-hmm. or the pain or the judgment they might have felt from someone claiming the name of Christianity. Uh-huh. Maybe well-intentionally someone's claiming the name of Christianity. And and the enemy slipped in, told some lies, had a victory in a moment that they're carrying with them. And being sensitive to that, hearing God say, God, hey, how do you want me to approach this? Again, mm-hmm. not necessarily coming with a predisposed idea of I'm going to hit this question and this question and this question, because then it seems like it could turn this into a program instead of an interaction and a conversation. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why, for me, I found your book fascinating, and I don't throw that, a word, that word around a lot, fascinating and, and very helpful around this idea of questions. It's on its third edition now. What do you think it is about this approach to evangelism that continues to help it be a valuable sought-after skill, uh, that it's in the, the, the third edition, so to speak, and maybe even more so why it's more valuable in today's culture and in the days that we're talking about now? Yeah, you know, I, I, I was really thrilled when um, the publisher contacted me and said, hey, listen, how would you like to update the book? And and it, it hit me 
the, the book is almost 20 years old. I was like, oh my goodness. And I went back and read it and said, um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of illustrations I need to update. <clears throat> we we decided to add a chapter about science because that's a that's always been a problem, but but you know, um I, I needed to address that issue. Um your question is why do I think it it still has appeal? Um uh, you know, I don't like it when I'm on one of these podcasts and someone asks me a question that I don't know. Uh, well, no, I, I you know, uh, it's fair I, to say you don't know. I love, I think you're giving an example right now of what we're supposed to do is we're engaging with other people. Sometimes it's okay to say <laughs> I don't know, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I do think that idea of engaging people in meaningful conversation is very, very valuable. I, I want to be careful though. It's, it's not. It's not a tactic mm -hmm. to win a battle. Yeah. It's it's really a way of loving our neighbor, mm -hmm. loving people, creating the image of God who were created to know him personally and conversationally. Mm -hmm. And I, I think so part of the answer that I do know is we are a culture right now that is starving for meaningful conversation. And there's all sorts of people who have written about this and studied it. It's a crisis. And we're just, we're desperate to interact with someone that we can just talk to. It can go for a while. We could disagree with them, but we can disagree kindly and gently. Um, we can think out loud with people and not feel like, oh, if I just say the wrong word, they're going to cancel me. Mm -hmm. We're starving for meaningful conversation. And this is a wonderful opportunity like I said, to, to love people around us with yeah. listening ears and sensitive hearts. And and we need to ask God to work in our hearts so that mm -hmm. we can be those kinds of people. Yeah. And and certainly if someone's listening to this, it, it could be possible if they're not really dialed in and tuned into this conversation, maybe they're multitasking, that <laughs> they might hear that this is saying there's no importance of knowing the actual facts of the Bible to communicate that all we got to have is a good conversation. That, that's not what we're saying at all. No, you no. need to know those things. In fact, you know, do you have any just like some books if someone said, okay, let me first start with knowing the basics I'm supposed to communicate and then let me go to understanding how a better way to communicate it that you would recommend to maybe a Christian who's just starting this journey of learning how to share their faith? Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, so I think in two categories. One is, you know, what is the content of our message? You mm -hmm. know, if somebody actually said to us, okay, what do you believe? Uh, Greg Gilbert's very, very short book, What is the Gospel, is just great. And, um, and, and I certainly think Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, also articulates that very, very well. As far as answers to common apologetics questions, and we do need those answers. We, we, we need to, you know, know some of those things. I really love uh, Rebecca McLaughlin's book, um, Confronting Christianity, 12 Hard Questions. Okay. Uh, so, so those are some resources that I think are very, very helpful with articulating the gospel and defending the gospel. Yeah. And so just Randy, again, thanks for being on the show. Certainly we were focusing on your, your book, Questioning Evangelism, Engaging People's Hearts the Way Jesus Did. But you have other books, Mere Evangelism, Unlikely Converts, Corner Conversations, Bringing the Gospel Home, as we talked about last time, Witnessing to Family Members and Close Friends. And and you can find any of those books, plus the one, Questioning Evangelism, at anywhere you find your books, whether it happens to be in one of the few brick-and-mortar bookstores left out there or however you order it online. But certainly they could find out about you a little bit better at randydavidnewman.com, right? 
That's right, yeah. Right. Is that the best place if people want to connect you, maybe for speaking or understanding or training, they would go there? Well, yeah, I would also say at the C.S. Lewis Institute's website, cslewisinstitute.org, mm-hmm. long one, but but I'm there and uh, a lot, ton of resources and articles that I've written and things like that. So th- those that would be a good place also to connect with me. Well, Randy, it's been a joy and a pleasure again to have you today having this conversation. I certainly hope that you're enjoying a little bit more of the sunshine there in Austin <laughs> and the uh, impending arrival of another grandchild. Uh, and thank you again for just helping us understand another way about how to communicate. And certainly I encourage all our listeners, go to C.S. Lewis Institute, as you just mentioned, or go to randydavidnewman.com, find out more about there. And of course, if you want to talk to us here at WAVA and you have a question, you can always send it to comment or a comment, if you want to, at WAVA.com. If you'd like to talk to me personally, you can dial me up here at the church, Christian Fellowship in Ashburn, Virginia. I can be reached at 703-729-3900. So as you go to wherever you're going today, after the podcast or listening to it on the radio, remember, as you walk and you talk, ask God, how do you want me to talk to this person? And then remember, it is the gospel that makes a way. It's the gospel. Thank you for joining us and listening to Good News for the City, a gospel partnership between WAVA and One Heart DC. This is a partnership, movement which celebrates and seeks to accelerate the move of the gospel into the Washington, D.C. metro area. It is our prayer that through this radio broadcast ministry of Good News for the City, we will see transformed lives and communities and more and more people responding to the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to help bring unity to Bible-believing people and churches in order to multiply our impact in our city, and we would love for you to join us. You can learn more at goodnewsforthecity.com. That's goodnewsforthecity.com. Or you can go to wava.com keyword good news. Or you can call us at 703-807-2266. 703-807-2266. And remember, it's the gospel that makes a way.